On this week's show, Etsy is getting hammered for scammers and fakes. The United States Postal Service tracking system is called inadequate and inaccurate. And I'm going to talk about how I'm making a living selling books without a single listing on Amazon. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 199 of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast, coming to you from the new and improved Batcave studio. I think I've finally got it about set up the way I would like it. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home and are, are into the techie, nerdy things, I am recording today on a brand new microphone. Uh, shout out to Chris over at Sweetwater, who took care of me, uh, hooked me up with a deal on the Lewitt LCT 440 Pure. It's a microphone I've had my eye on for quite some time. As you may recall from a previous episode, I'm a bit of a mic junkie. If I had all the monies, I'd have all the microphones, and I'd use a different one probably every week. But this is one I've wanted for a while. And after the uh, week of hell that I had moving all my stuff, I decided to reward myself (laughs) uh, with a little bit of a treat and got this new microphone. So you can let me know if you can tell any difference. I definitely can hear it in the headphones. Uh, I'll probably continue to use the Rode Procaster that I also have and kind of alternate back and forth. But so far, I'm, I'm really pleased with the way this microphone sounds. But with that nonsense out of the way. We've got a pretty big episode today. I've got a, we're going to start this week with the what sold segment. I've got gosh, 24 or 25 items. Cause it's been a little while since we did one of those. And then I've got some reselling news, a little bit from eBay, a little bit from Etsy and an update on an audit over at the United States postal service. But before we get into the what sold, I want to talk a little bit about how I'm making a living selling books, but not selling on Amazon. And I'll preface this by saying, I absolutely understand that if I was selling on Amazon, I would certainly be making more sales and making more money. I could say the same thing about selling on Discogs for music, CDs, and records as well. But there comes a point where, for me at least, the balance of the amount of effort that would need to be put in and the amount of additional headaches is not worth that incremental income. And that's kind of where I'm at. I had sold on Amazon previously. For those of you who've been listening for a long time, you'll know when I had my record store back in the day, I sold CDs and records on Amazon and did fairly well over there. But it felt like every time I turned around, it was getting more and more difficult to sell there. And the fees, of course, as they are everywhere, were increasing over and over and over again. And those are two trends that have continued to this day. It is very, very difficult to get on and sell on Amazon these days. And uh, I use list perfectly for all my cross posting. Amazon is not part of that program, nor is Discogs. So uh, putting my listings on yet another site to make a little bit of extra money for me, I've just made the decision that it's probably not worth the investment of time. I'm making the kind of money that I want to make and am able to do what I set out to do when I went into reselling to begin with, which was to control my time. And I feel like, if I if I got out of that mindset and really went after those those two sites and Amazon in particular, I probably would set myself back on that goal. And that's just not something I want to do when I'm able to, as we're about to see in this What Sold segment, sell books successfully for, in some cases, fairly significant amounts of money on other sites, primarily eBay and Etsy. Additionally, 
I see a lot of booksellers that talk about the fact that older vintage books, pre-ISBN era books, which is what I kind of specialize in, don't necessarily always do that well on Amazon. It's not their primary place to put them. So even from that standpoint, I'm not sure, as they say, the juice would be worth the squeeze if I decided to go over there. I try never to say never. I I won't rule out that ever being on Amazon at some point in the future. But for right now, I'm able to make the kind of money I want to make and have the the freedom and the flexibility of my time, which was what the most important thing was for me. So that's where we're at. Uh, let's look at some of these sold items and you can get a feel for, as we do this on a weekly or semi-weekly basis, kind of some of the money that can be made, some of the surprising amounts of money that you can make with old books on eBay in particular, and surprisingly enough, uh, on Etsy as well. So let's take a look at this. I probably need a new graphic there because it says what sold this week, and this is probably three weeks worth of stuff we're going to look at today. But uh, this first item was part of a big lot of about 3,200 books I purchased for an average of about 15 or 16 cents a piece. I've shown some of these before. This is not something that you ordinarily would think would potentially be a big seller, and it just goes to show that it's worth taking a look at every item when you do those big bulk purchases. I'm constantly surprised. As I go through a box, this just happened the other day. I pulled something out and I'm like, this, uh, this is a nothing burger of a book. And I look it up and it's worth $35. <laughs> uh, and these old house plan books were fall into that category. Small Home Plans by Garling House Company. This was published in 1982. It's an illustrated paperback legitimately of old home plans. They weren't old at the time, but with all the new updates, modern design and whatnot, you wouldn't necessarily think that these kind of books would do that well, uh, but they have been really, really strong for me. Next up, a CD. Uh, again, I, I could sell these on Discogs if it was easy and convenient and probably increase my income, but I'm, I do fairly well where I'm already at. So we're just going to run with that. This was Secret Affair live at the bridge. This was new and sealed from 1997 on Receiver Records. This was part of the big 8,000 plus CD purchase that I made coming up on three years ago now, I think. Uh, yeah, probably in 2020, I made that purchase. So three years ago, uh, I have made I looked this up the other day just for giggles. I spent $300 on that purchase, and I have made nearly $30,000 in sales on that one buy. So it was a terrific buy. I absolutely would do it again. It was a lot of work, but it has been incredibly worthwhile. This was part of my 40% off sale. I originally had it listed for $44.99. It sold for $26.99 plus media mail shipping, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, all of the items that were previously free shipping for me, I have converted now to customer paid shipping, and it has not affected my sales one little bit. I'm still selling the same amount as I was previously. So if you're on the fence about what you want to do about shipping, it's seems to be fine uh, as long as you, again, are priced competitively. First sale over on Etsy of the week, a Highland Collie by Albert Payson Terhoon from 1927. This is an old Grosset and Dunlap uh, juvenile fiction type book, ex-library book in pretty good condition, hardcover. This thing sold for $29.99. 
plus media mail shipping once again over on Etsy. Back to eBay, The Science of Hypnotism by Alexander Cannon. This was published by E.P. Dutton back in 1943. Hardcover book, second printing. First printings are typically worth a lot more money. This was a second, a stated second printing. I had it right in the title. This thing still sold for $27.99. Plus, again, a medium mail shipping. This was purchased in a big lot that I own for about four or five cents a piece. Another book from that same lot. I talk about these all the time. Old vintage textbooks. This one from 1968. An Introduction to Probability Theory and Its Applications. Volume 1, 3rd Edition. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, These old textbooks can be really, really strong. This thing sold for $29.99 plus media mail shipping over on the Bay. Back to Etsy. The Woman You Want to Be, Marjorie Wilson's Complete Book of Charm from 1942. This is one, this was a stated 19th printing. So this isn't first edition, nothing particularly special about it, but it is fairly hard to find. Not sure you could even publish a book of this type today, but uh, The Woman You Want to Be, Marjorie Wilson's Complete Book of Charm, sold for $29.99 plus media mail shipping over on Etsy. Another sale on Etsy, The Plot Against the Peace, A Warning to the Nation by Sayers and Khan. This came out in 1945. It's a hardcover with its dust jacket. Uh, This was kind of in the post-World War II era, a a book coming out already talking about at that time a plot against peace that had just literally occurred. Uh, Again, another one out of a big lot that I own for about a nickel, $29.99 plus media mail shipping. And again, you can kind of see here you get the drift of the pattern 29 39 and so on there is money to be made on ebay and on etsy and again not trying to tell anybody not to sell on amazon but if you don't want to go through those headaches can you make money selling books elsewhere i am living proof that you can mercari on the board with uh again i talk about these seemingly every week The UFO Experience, A Scientific Inquiry by J. Allen Hynek from 1977. This was an illustrated paperback. Anything like that, uh, occult, UFO, any any of that type of stuff does really, really, really well. This sold for $30 with free shipping over on Mercari. As I talk about regularly, I just build the shipping cost into the retail price over on Mercari because their media mail shipping option is is not, as we talked about a couple of episodes ago, not really in line with what you can get pricing elsewhere. So I do ship on my own and free shipping. Uh, Cool old set of books from 1937. This is a fourth printing edition, The Dialogues of Plato in two volumes. It was uh, translated by B. Jowett. This was a random house collection from, again, 1937. Picked up at a garage sale, Normally, you don't find a ton of old books at garage sales. Estate sales, at least for me, are much, much better. I went to a garage sale. This has been about a month ago, and I think I've talked about it previously. It turned out that it was in their basement, not in a garage, and they had shelves and shelves full of old books. I probably bought most of what they had there. I spent $150 and bought 130 books at that garage sale. This was two of those. I'm into them for about a buck 14, a buck 15 at that rate. Uh, this set of two sold for $32.99 plus again, media mail shipping. 
back over to Etsy. Mark Gain, uh, Japan Diary from 1948. This was actually a first printing hardcover published by the William Sloan Associates. Uh, sold on Etsy for $39.99 plus media mail shipping. This was purchased as part of a big lot, and I own it for roughly $0.16. Cents. Another old book from that same lot. Uh, this was a gift. I don't normally do anything special for gifts. I did attach a note to this one because you can see the customer actually put a note in there, enjoy reading the book. That note obviously meant nothing to me. It was for whoever the recipient was. So I did add a little note, but I don't gift wrap or anything like that on these. I do wrap all the books. I, I did a short a couple of years ago about how I wrap and pack books. If you're interested in that, you can go back through my catalog and take a look. It's like a less than a minute video about how I wrap and pack books. Uh, but anyway, this was a gift. Grandmother and the Priests by Taylor Caldwell. It was a hardcover with its dust jacket from 1963. Sold for $39.99 plus media mail shipping. Still over on Etsy. This was, again, part of that big garage sale lot. This was a collection of six paperback books called Basic Electronics. They were first edition kind of tutorials on uh, electronics and electronics projects from writer publications. This was a complete set of all six volumes and also sold for $39.99 plus media mail shipping. Back over to eBay, uh, Marcus Crassus and the Late Roman Republic by Alan Mason Ward. This was an ex-library hardcover from 1977. This was purchased as part of a, a lot, man, probably two years or so ago. It was part of my 40% off sale. I had it listed originally for $69.99 plus media mail shipping. It sold for $41.99 with the 40% off discount. Um, I probably own it for a buck, so pretty nice flip. Once again, over on Etsy, uh, Trafficking by Berkeley Rice, St. Martin's True Crime. It was an illustrated paperback from 1991, a first printing. Again, first printings are always more valuable, even in paperback. True crime books, like I've talked about as well previously, can be really, really solid money. This thing sold for $44 plus media mail shipping. This was part of a of that big lot of about 3,200 books that I'm into for about 16 cents a piece. This was a really interesting piece. This is another one that I picked up at that garage sale. So I got about a buck 15 in this thing. The Hamilton Credit Rating Book, Volume 10. This was a hand-numbered book, number 72, from 1943 and 44, from here where I'm at in Hamilton, Ohio. And it was actually a, a pretty good-sized book. It just barely fit in a 14 by 10 by 4 box. Big, heavy book that literally listed every citizen and business from the city of Hamilton during that time and their credit rating. Were they slow pay? Were they fast pay? What what their net worth estimated was? It was a really interesting piece. I initially threw this thing up on Facebook for the local area to see if there were any like local historians or anything that might be interested in it. It ended up selling to a guy up in New England for $49.99 plus $7.15 media mail shipping to give you some idea of how big this book was. I got a couple coming up here that normally I'm, as you can tell, <laughs> uh, if you've been playing along very long uh, on my show, I, I like the sub $1 price point when I'm buying books. This is a book where I actually paid up on. There was a stack at an estate sale of 
five or six of these, they had been rebound, but they were late, mid to late 1700s to early 1800s books that had been custom bound in leather binding. They were asking six bucks a piece for them. I looked them up. It appeared to me that every single one of them was going to be worth at least 50 bucks if they sold. Normally, I'm not trying to pay six bucks a book. I did try her on for a discount. So if I bought all six or however many it was of these, could you give me a deal? And she's like, no, I'm sorry. It's the first day of the sale. I can't do anything. I went ahead and bought them. I have subsequently sold several of them. So I've already way more than made my money back. But this was the works of Thomas Boston, volume one from 1753. As I said, it was custom bound, so it didn't have its original cover. Some of the pages were well tanned. There was foxing the little spots that you see from age and moisture and whatnot. So it was in fairly marginal condition, but it's so old and so unusual to find that it brought $49.99 plus medium mail shipping. This is an item that I do actually ship in a box. Anything old and particularly fragile like this, I won't just put it in a bubble mailer. I will ship something like this in a box, but... Um, this this single sale paid for that whole purchase, which cost me, I think, $24. So uh, is that right? No, it was probably $36. But still, and all, I'm in the money. And there's another one coming up here in a couple. Uh, another cool set of books. This was also part of a big lot. I'm into the three of these total for about 50 cents. Uh, the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbon. This was a three-volume set by Heritage Press from 1946. Had it listed for fifty nine ninety nine plus media mail shipping. I got a best offer of fifty bucks uh, because I'm into them for less than fifty cents. <laughs> uh, I thought that was a pretty good deal, so I went ahead and took it. <laughs> uh, here's another one of those old books from that estate sale. Another one I got six bucks in. I had it listed for fifty nine ninety nine. I accepted a best offer of fifty dollars and ninety nine cents plus media mail shipping on the new family receipt book containing 800 truly valuable receipts from 1819. This was a British publication of kind of household and homemaking tips, a really interesting piece. Uh, it was actually mislabeled on the binding. Whoever put this binding together actually put recipes instead of receipts. But nonetheless, uh, this thing brought essentially $51 plus shipping. Uh, back to the garage sale of the books I own for a buck 15 mathematics for self-study calculus for the practical man. This was a second edition hardcover with its dust jacket by, uh, I think it's J H Thompson from 1946. I don't know what it is about these, this entire series. If you're out and you see any of these, especially if they have their dust jackets, the mathematics for self-study, there's calculus, there's algebra, there's geometry, there's trigonometry. There's, it's all math stuff, obviously. They're all worth killer money. This thing sold for $64.99 plus media mail shipping. So again, from a buck fifteen to $64.99 and not a sniff of Amazon. That one sold on Etsy. This is a set I picked up at an estate sale down in Cincinnati, gosh, probably six or seven weeks ago. Um, I, I had no cell service for some reason in this particular house, so I wasn't able to really look anything up. I picked up a few things that looked old and interesting, hoping for the best, and in most cases, it has worked out. This was a three-volume set 
the Holy Bible, Old and New Testaments, plus Apocrypha, I think is how that's pronounced. It was an illustrated three-volume set from Ballantine Books, uh, not the new Ballantine that does mostly paperbacks. This is obviously an old one. This set was published in 1911. Uh, really cool old set of books. I paid a dollar a piece for these, so I got three bucks in this set, and they sold for $74.99 plus media mail shipping, which was $9.95. This was an, another pretty amazing set. I, I initially didn't even realize that I had the full set, so these three books are also from that garage sale where I paid $1.15. The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Schultzenitsen. This is volumes one, two, and three, all first editions. When I was scooping up books at that sale, I just, I saw these individually and thought, yeah, that's probably worth messing with. And I just went ahead and threw it in the box. As I'm unboxing them, I had actually already listed two of them individually when I stumbled on the third one. And I'm like, hey, you know what? (laughs) Uh, I wonder if this is worth something as a complete set since they're all first edition. So I looked it up, and sure enough, as a complete set, they were worth quite a bit more money than they would have been worth individually. So I took down the other two listings and listed this as a set for $129.99 plus shipping. I received a best offer very, very quickly on these of 100 bucks, which I went ahead and took because I owned the whole set for $3.45. <laughs> uh, this was a big order on Etsy. Uh, it was Ended up being three books, all to the same buyer, An Analysis of Knowledge and Valuation by Clarence Irving Lewis, first edition hardcover from 1946 that sold for 50 bucks. The Philosophy of Human Progress, James William Lober from 1926, also a hardcover. And a three-volume set, Evolution After Darwin by Soul Tax from 1960. Again, uh, hardcovers with their dust jackets, first editions from 1960 published by the University of Chicago that sold for $29.99. So I got three books here closing up on probably real close to $100 uh, plus media mail shipping. Really nice sale. The guy was thrilled. He's already left me five-star feedback over on Etsy. So uh, I'll be I'll be back in the Star Seller program. I'll be back in Etsy's good graces. <laughs> uh, next month, I had one person three months ago that left me one star no comment, no explanation. I reached out to them, said, Hey, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. If you let me know, I'll try to make it right. Never heard back from them. So for this month, that one, one star review, uh, kept me from being a star seller over on Etsy. Clearly it has not affected my sales as I've sold a ton of stuff over there still. So I'm not sure that the star seller program really makes a big difference in whether you sell well on Etsy or not, but I'd much rather have it than not. Uh, another old book that I've had for some time. I owned this as part of a big lot for less than a nickel. Sacco, the Rice Paddy Navy by Roy Olin Stratton. This was from 1950. It was a first edition illustrated hardcover. Very difficult book to find. I had it listed for $124.99 plus media mail shipping. I received an offer of $112 on it. Uh, again, I own it for next to nothing. So I went ahead and took that deal. Uh, Definitely be on the lookout for that one. It is very, very scarce. Sacco, the Rice Paddy Navy from 1950. And this last one, uh, I picked these up also at an estate sale. A lot of times if I see just random, very weird, like technical books and manuals, I'll just 
throw them in the box and see what happens when I get them home. This was a case where there were the, the, the person who had passed was obviously some sort of engineer in the aerospace industry. It was near Wright Pat Air Force Base. I don't know if he worked for one of the contractors or if he worked for the base, but he had a lot of these old books. These were Detroit Diesel Allison Aeronautical Systems Division Gas Turbine Engine Session Manuals. So these were like training manuals from a series of workshops that took place, I believe in 1974. He had, uh, I think there were eight of these total that were in various rooms throughout the house. I grabbed all of them. I paid a dollar a piece for them. I put the first one up at auction. It got one bid and sold for $19.99. So I listed all of the rest of them for $24.99, assuming that there might be a chance, maybe it was $23.99, in either case, that the same person that bought the one might make me an offer of $19.99 on these other ones, and I would accept that and just be thrilled to, to move these things for 20 bucks a piece when I got a dollar in them. As it turned out, the same guy did buy seven more <laughs> uh, of these that totaled $167.93 plus medium mail shipping, uh, seven item order plus the one he ordered previously. So eight items to the same buyer of these Detroit Diesel Allison technical books from some sort of training session. So really unusual piece. I don't hesitate especially at those kind of prices to grab stuff like that and just see what it's going to do. These were fantastic all in. They sold for a little over $20 a piece on average. I will take that from a dollar a piece every single day. So again, hopefully that goes to show you a little bit how you can, in fact, make money selling books and CDs and records and whatever without necessarily having to sell on Amazon. And as I said, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from selling on Amazon. It's certainly a, a fantastic platform. It can be very profitable. Lots of folks I know are doing really well there. I know several sellers. That's the only place they sell. But if you don't want to deal with all of the kind of downsides of selling over on Amazon, you you absolutely don't have to. You can still sell books and sell them very successfully on other sites like eBay and Etsy. So if you found that segment useful, interesting, helpful, please do me a favor, whack that thumbs up button. If you're not currently a follower of the podcast or a subscriber to the channel, please consider doing that as well. That would be most awesome. Uh, I'm gradually, <laughs> very gradually, this is, this is the 199th episode of this particular podcast. I've done 250 some odd videos, including shorts and whatnot uh, over on YouTube, and I'm still not to a thousand subscribers. So if you would be so inclined to share this channel or this video uh, with your reselling friends, that would be really awesome as well. <laughs> uh, with that having been said, let's get into this reselling news. News updates. So as I said in the intro, uh, Etsy continues to get hammered. This article is in the Washington Post. Uh, Etsy promised shopping with a soul, then the scammers came. Drop shipping and knockoffs threatened the whole point of a platform 
that was supposed to be for artists. So this writer says, It started for me with a piece of jewelry. After buying a pair of cute cherry earrings for my newly pierced ears, I wanted a necklace to go with them. Like many folks, I went to Etsy, a site I've been using as a buyer and a seller for many years. After scrolling through several options, I settled on a glitzy piece embellished with a cherry motif. When the package arrived... Two weeks later, the necklace wasn't only broken, it was made of cheap plastic coated to look like metal. I threw it away. When I went back to investigate, I found the shop had vanished. I fished the packaging out of my trash, and the return address was not for the home of some artisan artisanal jewelry maker. It was JFK Airport. That's when I knew I had been drop shipped. I'm not going to read this entire article. It is a really interesting look at Etsy's current problems with dropshipping and scammers and fake merchandise. And the, the article describes dropshipping uh, for the uninitiated. They say dropshipping refers to a sales practice wherein someone offers products for sale online that they don't actually have or make themselves. If a customer bites, the seller turns around and orders the item from a source such as the Chinese wholesaler Alibaba and then ships it directly to the buyer. Dropshipping entities, they note, are often opaque when writer Jenny O'Dell investigated the phenomenon back in 2018 for the New York Times, she uncovered within the long looping supply chains everything from false return addresses to shady Bible college profiteers. It is often impossible to track down exactly where a drop shipped item originated. This person tried to track down the origin of the item that they bought and subsequently threw away and were unable to do so. It's been a problem on these sites for a long, long time, and I don't, I don't personally know how you stop it from happening. There's almost no way to vet sellers coming onto the platform who are new, other than to limit the amount of things that they can list until they've proven themselves not to be scammers. Because <laughs> uh, you just can't tell with a new seller what's going on. To Etsy's credit, obviously, even in this case, when this, this person went back to research that seller, they had already left the platform, whether that was voluntarily or whether Etsy discovered that they were a drop shipper and selling fakes and deleted their account. This article does not claim to know, but to Etsy's credit, they are spending a fairly significant amount of money trying to correct this problem. There are multiple examples in this article, and as always, I will link to this, of course, in the show notes and the video description below if you're interested in more details. They talk about a, a, a kind of a high-end fashion designer who does hats, who's currently feuding with uh, Etsy. The article points out that an Etsy spokesperson declined to make anyone from the company available for an interview. I don't think that's a good practice. <laughs> uh, we're going to run this article anyway, so you might as well have somebody uh, respond and defend your position. They did write in an email that Etsy invested $50 million last year in an effort to boost trust and safety within the marketplace, including adding tools to automatically detect problematic listings. She also directed me to Etsy's handmade policy, which requires that everything listed for sale on the platform be either handmade, vintage, or craft supply. Now, their definition of handmade has certainly broadened over the years because, as I've talked about on previous episodes, I do print on demand, which are drop shipped from printing companies literally all over the world. And Etsy is okay with that because the, I believe, because the original design is quote unquote handcrafted. I'm doing the design, so it is my design, even though the actual production of the merchandise is a bigger manufacturer. 
But the the handmade policy on Etsy has kind of gotten sketchy over the years, and they continue to struggle with scammers and knockoffs. So just I thought that was a really interesting article. Etsy continues to invest money in trying to fix the problem. So we'll see how it goes. They have more than (laughs) uh, their share of other issues going on over there as well. But this was not a, a particularly good look for Etsy. Moving over to eBay, they have announced uh, the summer seller check-in that's coming up uh, later this week on May 25th. They say, we've got a packed agenda featuring updates, interviews, and so much more. We're all set to help sellers grow their stores further this summer. What to look forward to, tips on giving your store a summer refresh, informative breakout sessions with eBay experts, a seller-led session on hiring best practices if you're big enough or want to deal with the drama of actually having employees. One of the reasons I got into reselling was that I didn't have to have <laughs> uh, people <laughs> around. I could I could do all this myself. But if you're big enough and you want that sort of growth and you want to hire people, they're going to have a session on that as well. And an update on the biggest seller event of the year. Wait, they say, did someone say eBay open? So that will be coming up probably later this summer. Uh, From updates and workshops to networking and community, the eBay Summer Seller Check-In is where you can find what your business needs. It is Thursday, May 25th from noon to 2 p.m. Pacific time. There is a registration link in that article as well, though I did note that I believe it was over on e-commerce bytes. Someone had commented that the link was not working, (laughs) that they were not able to register. I assume eBay has gotten that fixed. Although um, we're we're on week two, going into week three now of my international shipping program issue continuing. So maybe not. <laughs> uh, and speaking of glitches over on eBay, they had a, a, a real problem early last week. A glitch was preventing some people from searching on eBay. Some people reported problems trying to search the eBay website on Thursday of last week. So this is almost two weeks ago now. Uh, apparently this also happened on Monday of last week. So it's, it's been an issue. It appears that it was only on the website, not on the mobile. At 11.04 a.m., someone tweeted to eBay's Ask eBay account, search bar not responding when I click on it. Same with advanced. It works once. Then I have to open up a new tab if I want to alter or change my search. So if you went into their search and clicked in the search bar, it'll allow you to do one search. And then from that point, it wouldn't register your clicks. I don't know. I'm not a not a programmer. I don't know what would cause that, but obviously that's a big problem. Uh, anything that adds friction to the process for a customer trying to make a purchase is all bad. So hopefully this is something that they were able to get resolved fairly quickly. Uh, let me know in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. Did you notice any issues like this if you searched on eBay over the last, say, week or 10 days? Uh, this problem, they note, started today, 5-18-23. When eBay first loads, you can put the mouse over the search bar and click anywhere, and the cursor will follow. While eBay searches and refreshes, you can still mouse, mouse over the search bar and click, but after that page is loaded with the items hovering mouse over the search bar and clicking, nothing works. All listings, accepts offers, etc. on down is okay. You can click on the buttons just from that up. eBay shop by category, search bar, etc. The mouse won't function. So let me know in the comments uh, if that's something that you had issues with. This article over on e-commerce bytes, 
Uh, eBay has acquired another authentication tool company. Uh, this one was originally designed for brands. It says eBay will acquire CertaLogo, which lets brands such as clothing manufacturers add digital product IDs to their products that allow customers to scan and authenticate the items when buying them new or secondhand. They also provide a relationship management platform that provides product information and customer engagement tools that fundamentally changes how we interact with apparel and accessories, according to their founder, Michelle Casucci. The company explains CertaLogo's unique approach unlocks data-driven insights that support traceability, commercial marketing, brand protection, and sustainability strategies. eBay's current focus category strategy includes an emphasis on authentication. They've done it in sneakers. They've done it in watches. They've done it in handbags. They're going to continue, I think, to expand that program in the kind of luxury wares. So this is probably a good pickup for them. It includes that focus again on authentication. But what makes this acquisition different is that the latter offers its tools directly to brands and manufacturers, which may not be accustomed to seeing eBay as a solution to the problem of counterfeits. Going back to scammers and whatnot, uh, that has been a problem on all of the platforms. It's not exclusive to Etsy. eBay has been dealing with it for many, many years. eBay signaled their desire to befriend brands last month when it announced a new program called Certified by Brand, explaining it was partnering directly with brands to scale their presence in the secondary market while providing shoppers access to a wider selection of coveted and collectible luxury goods. These are areas where it's going to become, and I've seen a lot of um, particularly clothing sellers posting on like Instagram and whatnot, that the, the brands, the actual companies buying back their products for resale is going to a potentially drive up the price again, at thrift stores or whatnot, and to make those items potentially a lot more scarce. So while I give eBay credit for aligning with brands and trying to make the marketplace more counterfeit free, these brands are now becoming our competition. I don't sell in that category, so it doesn't really affect me. But if you are a clothing seller, having all of these brands get involved in these sorts of things so that they can take over Secondhand sales of their own merchandise is certainly potentially problematic. This isn't necessarily reseller related, but it's a really interesting situation. Google is going to begin deleting inactive accounts, including Gmail, YouTube, and photos. This was announced last week. Online sellers take note. Google is going to start deleting inactive accounts. That means those with multiple Google accounts who aren't in the habit of visiting them Visiting their secondary accounts very often could lose some of their data, according to announcement on Tuesday. Starting later this year, if a Google account has not been used or signed into for at least two years, we may delete the account and its contents, including content within Google Workspace, which is Gmail, Docs, Drive, Meet, and Calendar, as well as YouTube and Google Photos. Sellers may use one account or more for selling and another for personal. While Google said the new policy won't impact organizations like schools or businesses, it may not recognize that a seller's account is a business account, especially for small sellers. I don't have mine set up as a business. It's just my regular Gmail account, which probably explains why I get so much spam. But (laughs) uh, the reason for the policy change, Google said, if an account hasn't been used for an extended period of time, it is more likely 
to be compromised. They say our internal analysis shows abandoned accounts are at least 10 times less likely than active accounts to have things like two-step verification set up, meaning these accounts are often vulnerable, and once an account is compromised, it can be used for anything from identity theft to a vector for unwanted or even malicious content like spam. The policy went into effect immediately, but Google said the earliest they would begin deleting accounts is December of this year. So if you have multiple Google accounts, I guess the the tip of the day is to go in and do something with those accounts. Activate them, sign in, whatever you need to do to let Google know that that account is active. Uh, as previously announced, you will need to specifically sign into Google Photos every two years to be considered active, which will ensure your photos and other content are not deleted. So add that to your Google calendar (laughs) Uh, that every couple of years you need to go in and and just do something. This last bit of news is, frankly, it's probably not news that any of us who use USPS frequently, but an audit has found that their package tracking to be inaccurate and inadequate. The Postal Inspector General IG found that 64% of tracking messages for packages examined in a recent audit were inaccurate and recommended the UPS do a better job of communicating when providing delivery status notices. That is significant for online sellers who must appease customers anxiously awaiting their orders. I have this happen a couple of times a month, probably, where a customer will send me a message saying that their item had been delivered according to the USPS tracking, but they don't have it. And I always advise that customer, wait a day or two because they're in the habit over there for some reason, I assume it's for their performance metrics, on-time scans and all that, of scanning items before they actually deliver them to the customers. And without fail, within a day or two, that item actually shows up. So this is an internal audit of that situation, uncovering what many of us already know from firsthand experience, that scans are happening sometimes well in advance of merchandise actually physically moving through the system. The USPS Inspector General explained that customers can track the status of their packages online and see messages such as arrived at USPS facility, in transit to next facility, departed facility, out for delivery, as part of its audit conducted from August of 2022 through May of 2023. So this wasn't like a couple of days worth of data. This was a big, big investigation. It reviewed tracking messages displayed on USPS.com for 500 judgmentally selected packages from 25 states pulled from various points throughout the facilities. And here's what they found. Messages for 318 out of 500 packages did not accurately reflect the location, time, and or date of the packages observed. Messages for 163 packages indicated out for delivery when they were still at the post office. 46 packages lacked a status message for the facility it observed. And I've seen this, I can't tell you how many times, where an item will be in Hamilton or Cincinnati. And I know it's going through another hub. Pittsburgh or wherever because it's going clear to the West Coast and literally the next scan that it gets is when the item gets delivered. (laughs) There are no intermediary scans. It goes through the system just fine, but it never gets scanned. Uh, That is a really common problem. 
Interestingly, uh, messages for 497 of the 500 packages displayed at least one non-descriptive facility name or location. Example, arrived at facility. Didn't say where. Didn't say which one. Is it a regional hub? Is it the local post office? It just says arrived at facility, which frankly does not, as a potential buyer or as a seller who's trying to find an item for a customer, it doesn't tell you a thing. Uh, They said these issues resulted from a combination of factors, including missing package scans, which can occur if a barcode is unreadable or scans not being completed as required. They said, while we recognize the Postal Service's challenges with scanning accuracy and preference for anticipated movement or nondescriptive messaging to address efficiency and operational concerns, clearly defining the status of packages on USPS.com will enhance understanding, transparency, and improve the customer experience. Their recommendation... Management develop package status descriptions, descriptions rather that explain missing scan events and enhance explanations for messages such as out for delivery in transit or non-descriptive facility names on its tracking websites. So as if they don't have enough to do over at uh, USPS, they're asking them now to go back in and update some of the stuff with their tracking Ideally, they would do that. I don't know why it's not set up (laughs) Uh, correctly already, but it's not. Uh, They're having problems with their scans. Hopefully, they get it fixed. Again, I still think they do, by and large, a really terrific job for what is now $3.65. I can ship a one-pound item, a book or a DVD or whatever, literally clear across the country. And it gets there in five or six days for that kind of low cost. And in many cases, the tracking is accurate all along the way. I, I know they have issues, but I think the service they provide really on balance is pretty remarkable. Uh, you can let me know <laughs> uh, if you disagree with that sentiment down in the comments below. Of course, if you're listening to the podcast, you can DM me on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks, or you can email me at galaxycds at gmail.com. So this was a big, big episode. Uh, we're coming up on 50 minutes now, so hopefully you got something useful out of it. Again, if you did, please do me a favor, whack that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, or follow the podcast. I would really absolutely appreciate it. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time and effort getting this whole thing set up, so hopefully it will sound better. I don't know that it's going to look any better because there's only so much you can do with this. (laughs) Uh, But hopefully you got something out of it and enjoyed it. With that, it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.